George Barna, his research group has been polling Christians for decades now, and maybe you've seen some of his reports or his books. Um, a lot of pastors get them. <laughs> I don't know if you guys get them, but, you know, kind of what's going on in Christianity in our country. And one of the alarming, shocking results and conclusions that he's made through the years, and even more so now, is that the majority of people who call themselves Christians live no differently than those who do not claim to have a faith position or believe in God. They may have a mental creed. They may, you know, agree to certain things, spiritually speaking. They may own a Bible, occasionally go to church, maybe, or definitely Christmas, Easter. But you look at their lives and you see that those that claim to know Christ live no differently, by and large, than those that live alongside them in their neighborhoods and workplaces and families that don't know God. Now, that is a startling fact. And I don't know, maybe you've gotten used to that, or that's not news to you, but you know, when you think about why a church is in this community, why you're part of this church right now in this community at this stage in, in uh, kind of the, the life of this world and what God's doing, you have to be alarmed by that. And you have to say, yeah, but that, that should be the way it is, right? You should say that in your spirit. Like, oh, that bothers me. That shouldn't be the way it is. And it shouldn't be. You're right. And you surely should look at your own life and go, I I hope I'm living differently than the world that Christ has so changed me that people would look at my life and see a contrast. Because we're in this world, and it's a crazy world, and there's lots of sin and temptation, this and that. But I'm living in the world by the strength of Christ, and I have this hope. He's delivered it to me and to my heart. And I want to live differently, and I want to live a reflection of Christ. Well, that's a lot of what the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage as we continue our series in 1 Thessalonians is he's encouraging them to live differently, to look differently. Not for the sake of just looking different, being different, taking pride in that. It's because of who we are in Christ, that we have been rescued from our sin. We've been cleansed of our sin. Jesus went to the cross for that purpose. Now his Holy Spirit lives in us, and we are a called out people. We are a different people because of who Christ is in us and to us. And this world needs to find Christ. They need to have this hope delivered to them through you and through me. So that's really a lot of what this passage is about today. How do we live a sanctified or set apart, right, a holy life? How do we do that when we still wrestle with sin? How do we live in purity and holiness in sanctification? And that's one of the words he uses. How do we learn how to love in relationships in a way that really gets the attention of others? Not just, well, they scratch my back, I scratch theirs. How do we work in the marketplace with such integrity, such focus that others are blessed just by watching the way we work? Well, that's what he's talking about today, being that kind of difference, being sanctified in those kinds of ways. So we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Live in purity, holiness, and self-control. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you would do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So Paul's urging, you know, right in these, these first verses here, he's urging the Thessalonians to walk in a way that pleases God. And it's this challenge to do so more and more. Figure out what is a pleasing life to God look like. It's different than the world. What does that actually look like? He gets very, very specific here. But he says, you know, you're in this process of being sanctified, that you're, you're called out by God to know God, changed and cleansed by his life in you and his forgiveness, the Holy Spirit living in you. So now you can live differently. You can be set apart more and more in your life. You are set apart for Christ and his purposes the day you put your faith in him and what he did on the cross to forgive your sin to come in your life, right? 
That's the day you are justified. So I want to kind of link all these, these big words together. Right? Justified means to be made right, made just before the holy God through his son Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. But when we come to the Father through him, we're made just. We're made right. We're, our standing before God is a standing of justification. We have been justified through the righteousness that we've accepted from Christ into our life. Then we start this process, a lifelong process of sanctification. And then there's this glorification that comes when Christ returns, where he sets all things right, right? He completely redeems his people and he judges evil and those that have not loved God and he welcomes those that have loved him to live with him forever. You go, wow, what a day is coming. What a promise to look forward to. We're not home yet. We're traveling through this world. And as we travel, we're being sanctified. Our lives are being put, put uh, aside for God's holy purposes in the world. We're not being put aside and cloistered like monks, keeping our Christianity unspoiled by the big bad world. No, we're in the world. But as we live in the world, because we've been justified, now we can be sanctified. We can experience more and more of our life being set apart and set aside for God's holy purposes, that he would use our life, that he would use our marriage because our marriage is becoming more sanctified, more holy, less selfishness, because the way we are in our workplace is more sanctified, it's more godly, it's more focused on bringing attention to Jesus, not just getting ahead, getting the next promotion, the bottom line, my paycheck, my dream, my bank account, my retirement. It's about Christ. So we're being sanctified in our workplace, we're being sanctified in our neighborhoods, because we're looking out for the needs of others around us, not just our own, not just our kids, not just, it's like them and their kids and their needs and their safety, like you're concerned for yourself. Then you're saying, wow, Lord, you're sanctifying me to be less inward, more outward, less self-focused and more Godward in my thoughts and in my decision-making. And that's what Paul's saying, you know, be sanctified, for that's the will of God, your sanctification, to be more and more sanctified, made holy, set apart for God, just more and more. So no one could ever argue that. You know, every time I read this, I just go like, yeah, that's actually going to last my whole life, I guess. And the answer would be, yes, exactly. That's why the Christian life is dynamic. That's why the Word of God is living and active, and when it's living and active in our life, you keep changing. No such thing as a Christian who's stalled out, or shouldn't be. No such thing as a crusty Christian who just knows a lot and then stays stuck in their ways. No, that's not allowed. That's not Christian. That's not biblical. You don't stay the same. If you look the same as you did last month or last year, there's a problem. Like literally, you have to look and go, God, I, have I not been in the word? Have I not been listening? Have I been stubborn to not want to apply? What I've, you know, so you're justified, but then you start a process, a daily ongoing process called sanctification. Ongoing, ongoing. Ongoing until when? Until Christ returns. Until he comes back, like he promised. Are you talking about daily? Yeah, daily. You're talking about I can learn something today and live it today differently and more and more than I did yesterday. Yes. Yeah, I can be more focused on things of the kingdom than I was last month. Yes. I can have more fruit of the Spirit in my life than last year. Yes, a thousand times. Yes. That's what it means to have an active, living adventurous, exciting. I think it's the most exciting way to live. Relationship with God. It is not stale. It's not boring. It's not predictable. You're walking with the living God of the universe who said, I'll continue to set you aside for my purposes. So get in that marketplace and represent me. Start being so selfish in this area, in that area, and serve your neighbor. Stop living for self and flesh and living more to the things and purposes of God, and then you start to see everything in technicolor. It's like living in black and white versus every color imaginable. And that doesn't mean that there aren't trouble. In fact, the technicolor comes where you go, I'm still being able to be true to God in the hardest year of my life, with the hardest set of circumstances I've ever faced. Someone was just telling me earlier in, second, in first service about being in the hospital so much with this and that complication, but they realized goes, but this is a place of ministry. I never realized that a hospital would be a place of ministry. And then they said, and how God is delivered. And then gave us a miracle of a perfect match of a kidney that the doctors go, oh, you just, the problem will never happen for you. It happened for him. 
And I just, I got so excited because they went like, oh, it was just like, no, God's at work. Yes, hard. But he's so at work and the opportunities that have been there for us to share Christ. In fact, one of the doctors was talking to this gentleman who got this transplant and he goes, you're always at peace. You know, how is it you're always at peace with everything? And the TV was on and, and, and he went over and he turned the TV down because he wanted to hear, how are you so at peace? You have so much joy about yourself. He was a, a doctor who didn't have faith in God yet. And you go, wow, he's, he's alive in Christ, even with the hard set of circumstances for sure. He's realizing I'm sanctified, I'm set apart, even in a hospital bed to shine for Christ, even in my neighborhood to shine for Christ, even with that very difficult person at work to shine for Christ. And I go, wow, that's, that's an exciting process, and that's a fruitful process. And that's the last thing from boring. That's just exciting to think that God could use little old me just me, my struggles, my weaknesses, my concerns in life. He can use me. I can use you. You just have to say, Lord, use me. You just have to make yourself available. You are qualified because you know Christ and his Holy Spirit lives in you. Just make yourself available for God to sanctify. And as you're sanctified, you become this bright light, this reflection of Christ, this light in a dark world. He gets very specific, doesn't he, about what area of sanctification he's concerned about for them. He goes, you know, you should be set up, you should not be living by passion, fleshly passion. Passion. Your passion should be forgotten. You want to ask him for this control of your body. So he says, abstain from sexual immorality. Control your bodies in holiness and honor, not in passionate lust like those who don't know God. How many people around you are living in passionate lust? Most? Probably. And I don't mean even just physically, just the lust of the flesh. Pride and ego, possessions and power and privilege and position and American dream and my world and I'm right and they're wrong and uh, and yes and for me and, and then whatever other fleshly pursuits I want to pursue. The best of food, the best of wines, the best of physical. You know, I don't, you don't, who needs to be married? Just indulge yourself physically. It's not of God, but it's all around us. That's the culture. That was the culture in Thessalonica. That's the culture we live in. Really not much of a difference. Paul warns them, though, these words I'm giving you are not from man, they're from the Lord, and he's the one, he's the judge, he's the one that you will answer to. We will reap what we sow. God is not mocked. He is the righteous judge. And for those that already know him, we know our sin has been judged and placed on Christ, so we're justified and free. But as a loving Heavenly Father, he will discipline us if we choose to live in a way that dishonors and displeases him. So you can be justified but not want to live in the sanctification process. Ask yourself why. Why don't you want to see more of your life put aside for godliness? Why are you falling into sin or addiction or temptation? Why is the flesh so strong in you and the spirit not as strong in you? And so those are just really good questions. But he's very straightforward here just saying you need to have the self-control of the Holy Spirit over the flesh. In Hebrews 13, 4, we get the same truth of accountability and judgment. Let, uh, Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There is a price to pay for not living God's way. He is a forgiving God, but he won't be mocked. People will mock him in this culture and live however they want. Now, supposedly, you're not, if you're born this way, you're not necessarily that sex. That can change. You can love whoever you want. The marriage bed has been defiled. Marriage has been defiled in our culture. Make no mistake. The Bible's very clear. Paul was very clear. He's telling them. God's telling us. Sexual intimacy is for man and woman, and it's reserved for marriage. And if you're not married, you remain celibate until... You're married. Okay, that is what a lot of people in our culture would say. Very offensive, very narrow-minded, very archaic. It's not progressive. It's not contemporary. It's not relevant. And, and who are you to, to say? Well, we're not the ones saying we're just repeating the words of God. So God has made the way clear. If we've been made right in Christ, justified, part of our sanctification is to have self-control in these areas. Areas of the flesh that can be controlled with the help of the Holy Spirit. And he was encouraging them, live differently for the sake of Christ. 
That culture was all about self, self-made religion, self-made idols, self-pleasure, the passion of lust. And it is no different than ours. Our culture really promotes focus on self, doesn't it? You will leave here and be bombarded if you go to a restaurant, if you go online, if you're at a store, if you're watching something on TV. Whatever makes sense for self, whatever makes self feel more comfortable and self-liked. If self feels better, you're on the right track, and God would say you're on the wrong track. We're promoting exterior, temporal things as if they're the most important in the eternal things, but they aren't. Things like success, pursuit of daily happiness and comfort, self-promotion, getting the best that money and credit cards can buy, with very little focus, if any at all, on spiritual matters. And it's not spiritual ideas that work for people. And that's being spiritual and open to God by your own definition. It's the God, the one and only true God of the Bible that has disclosed himself in the Bible, through the Bible, and in the person of Christ. And it's following Christ. And that's the focus for a life that wants to be sanctified and set apart. That you live in a culture that's not going to promote that, not give credence to that, not agree with that, and yet it's still truth. They were surrounded by those that would say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Just try to figure out how to keep the small g gods, the small g gods on your side. Don't tick them off, because you need them to agree. You need to give some kind of worship to them so they don't wreck your life on the here and now, because it's all about you and what you're pursuing and the flesh of that. They even, in their idol worship, would have sexual immorality as part of their worship. Think how twisted and sick that is. And that's how lost you get in your sin and in darkness. And they were in that culture, and Paul's calling them out. Be justified. And they were, and they gave their life to Christ. Now be sanctified, and they were being sanctified more and more, right? They were being set apart. And yet it would be a challenge for them. It's a challenge for us. It's not that it's easy. And we get challenged and tempted every day. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say, God, you're first in my life. Give me more strength. Give me help today. When cultures don't start with God and his truths, they take normal human desires and pervert them into idols. Nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Food, unless we become gluttonous, is not wrong. Sex within marriage is a wonderful blessing. Outside of marriage, it's going to bring trouble. It dishonors God. Pleasure's not wrong unless it becomes our focus and everything is about how we feel about it and what it's doing for us. Possession, same thing. If we're tight-fisted and not generous, it's become a God and an idol in our life. Power, control, admiration. You'd say, well, those are good things, isn't it? You, know, you want to be responsible and try to control your finances. Yeah, but when it's controlling outside of the will of God, when it's pursuing something sexual outside of the bounds of marriage, when it's doing something outside of God's, provision for those things to be used in a good way, in an honorable way. It's perverting them and twisting them and letting Satan and the world tell you how you need and have the right to go after these things. And God calls you to have self-control and he calls you to restraint. He calls you to keep God in focus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith that justified you, who's sanctifying you. Keep your eyes on him, not on the culture. And then even in this process, I want to remind you that even as you're being sanctified, there's this, this word called multiplication. Sometimes we think, well, it's justified, set apart for God, you know, sanctified more and more holy until the day we're glorified. And we can't, can't get too involved in the mess of the world. Oh, get involved in the mess of the world. You're in the mess of the world anyway. You, you can't escape it, right? Just be purposeful in that to multiply what you know about God. No, you're not where you'll be in a year. Praise God. Like, you're growing, you'll be there. But where you are now, it's not where you were a year ago, hopefully. And where you're going to be in another year, if, if Christ, you know, waits till his return, then you have another year of more sanctification to bring about multiplication. That means multiplying the amount of people that come to Christ, that you are a tool in his hand. You're a mouthpiece for the gospel. You're willing to be bold, loving, and gracious to others that don't yet know Christ. And you have the right to speak because your life does look 
like Christ or more and more like Christ than it did last year or last month. Wow, what changed in you? You're so much more patient than you were. Boom, just don't miss the opportunity. Yeah, God is changing me. He's working on me. He's working with me. Just give the God the glory. Be humble enough to say, yeah, that's who I was. Man, he's changing me. And I got so much fun. I got such a long way to go. I can still yell at my, I can still do this. But you know what? God's working with me. You let him in on the, the reality of the process of knowing God. You've been set apart and you know him. And now you're being sanctified. And you're growing to be more and more like him. But by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul told the Galatians, those believers in that city. That church there in, in uh, Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Walk, there it is again. Walk means lifestyle. You're walking in agreement with God. The Holy Spirit's helping you to walk in a way that would please and honor God. And as a result, you'll be a bright reflection of Christ, and you'll have less regret, less pain, less wound, less chaos, less anxiety. You'll have the peace of God. You'll have the strength of God. You'll see the promises of God. You'll live in the wisdom of God. Going, okay, walk in the Spirit and by the Spirit. But you know you're going to be in a battle. And your battle, what? What do these verses say? You'll battle the flesh. It'll be against you, your own flesh that hungers for what you think you need, you deserve, you have a right to. The Holy Spirit of God wants you to control. You don't have a right to something that's outside of the will of God. He's your maker. You're, you're made in his image, called to know him and a son and a daughter. The enemy or the world will try to tempt your flesh to go beyond the bounds of Scripture, to engage in something, think something, say something, do something that's not going to please God, called sin. So you have to walk by the Spirit. If you don't, you will be walking in the flesh. You'll be, you'll be gratifying the desires of your flesh. Anyone else in the room understand this struggle but me? <laughs> Every single person sitting here, if you're honest, you know God, you've been justified, you're being sanctified, but you still have the flesh until we're out of these bodies and we're given a glorified new body, waiting for that day Christ would return so that'll happen. You will wrestle with the flesh that will be tempted to want to disobey God. You're either going to be walking in the Spirit or you're going to be what? Walking according to the what? Flesh. Say it with me. You're either going to be walking in the Spirit or you'll be walking according to the flesh. If you're not walking according to the flesh, which we know a lot about, unfortunately, walking in our pride, walking in our judgment, watching our criticalness, unforgiveness, sexual immorality, gluttony, greed. It's like, oh, it's all so ugly, isn't it? Yeah. We're either walking in that and tempted you know, to live that way, or we're going to be walking in the Spirit. Do you know there's no middle ground? There's no gray. It's like that little, that little uh, power car thing that we get our kids, you know, when they're two or three or four or seven, whatever. <laughs> you know, that's got one gear is forward, the other one is back. You're either moving forward in the things of God or you're moving back. Because if you're not moving forward, you're taking your eyes off Christ because he always is sanctifying you and wanting you to move forward. You're in reverse in some area of your life. You're giving into the flesh. When you take your eyes off of God and you get consumed with self and your own needs and all the stuff and manipulating or lying or exaggerating or hurting or whatever we do, we shifted backward into the flesh. And Paul says, you can have and live by the power of the Spirit and if you do and as you do, you won't be gratifying the desires of the flesh. As soon as you start, though, you're over here. And what do you do when you realize you're in the flesh? And you've said something, you've done something, you've looked at something, you've, you've compromised in some area of your business, you've done whatever. When you realize that that was flesh, that was out of fear, it wasn't trusting God, it was, you know, it was a misuse of alcohol, it was a misuse of drugs, it was a misuse of food, it was a misuse of my position at work. It was a misuse of money. And you realize the flesh drove you. What do you do with that? Right when you recognize you've done that, what do you do? Okay. You want to know what most Christians do? They put themselves in a spiritual timeout. They start beating themselves up. They figure, yeah, I should probably let Satan beat me up too. I should feel condemned. I should feel guilty. I should feel shame. 
You don't even think usually of the words of just conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you. You're living in the flesh. You're not in the spirit right now. The spirit will let you know you're not in the spirit. He'll let you know you're, you're living in the flesh. And you go, uh, okay. And then we feel really bad. We feel distant from God. We think that God kind of backs up from us. Doesn't care about us. Doesn't love us. Now he's really disappointed. Bad little Johnny. Bad little Susie. We have to stay in that state. We should, probably shouldn't go to church because we'd be a hypocrite. Wait a minute. We're not hopefully pretending that we're perfect, right? But that we've been justified and now we're in what process? What's this called? Sanctification. And we tripped up and got into the flesh. What do we do with that? There's one word I'm looking for. It starts with a C, ends with two S's. You confess it to God. When? Right away, as soon as you know. Otherwise, you're believing a lie that you have to put yourself in a spiritual timeout. You have to let Satan start beating you up, saying, oh, you call yourself a Christian. If you were a Christian, you would have never done that. You know, right? We, we think, oh, I, yeah, I just have to sit here and take that. I have to listen to that. No, you just have to listen to the truth. Wow, how did I get in the flesh? I got to put it in reverse. What am I doing? Back to God, back to his forgiveness, back to his cleansing, walking by the Spirit. A lot of people want to talk about God the Father, God the Son, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The what? Wait, I didn't hear you. The Holy Spirit. Why? They're nervous about the Holy Spirit. They think of maybe some extreme or, well, the Holy Spirit's not so mysterious. I mean, God the Father in heaven, you know, Jesus, you know, we see that. But the work of the Spirit, I mean, the Holy Spirit living in us, like, I don't know if I understand that. The walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me. And we, it seems a little too true or too powerful, too mysterious for us to try to get our hands around. So we basically go, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I get nervous when people don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Why? According to this verse in Galatians 5.16, why should you and I be nervous if people don't talk about the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son? Why? Why should we be nervous? Because they'll be walking according to the flesh. And that's what Jesus had so much trouble with the Pharisees. They were in the flesh. They cared about man and their reputation. And they, they had the costumes, like, you know, the outside, you know, the, the garb. And they, they, were, they were full of pride and ego. And it was washed on the outside, but it was dead man's bones on the inside. Oh, the cup looks so nice on the outside. It's so deadly on the inside. Jesus called it for what it is. They're living in the flesh and according to the flesh. But we have been born again in the Spirit. John 3. You have been born in the Spirit if you know Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives in you if you know Christ. And if the Holy Spirit lives in you and he gave you birth and justified you, now you walk with him according to his power. The power of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you. Right, church? So you know the God who is a trinity. He's Father, Son, and... Holy Spirit, and he lives in you, and he leads you, and he guides you, and he comforts you, and he guides you into all truth, and he reminds you of what Jesus taught. And he brings about the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ and the character of God in you. So important that we understand we are not doing this on our own. We aren't living in sexual immorality. We're controlling our bodies by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not chewing out our boss or our worker or that friend or getting an attitude or being hateful in our, in our own heart, even if no one knows. We're not doing that because the Holy Spirit will give us strength to be different than that. Sanctified, set apart for God's ways in our life. Live in purity, live in holiness and with self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit and you won't walk in the flesh. When you walk in the flesh, you quickly confess it to God and you get back to walking in the Spirit when? immediately, and you say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, direct me now. What was I doing? What was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why, God? Then you might just try to get behind it a little bit because I got nervous because I didn't feel like I'd be liked or accepted. That's why I did that and said that. Just realize that's of the flesh. Maybe dig a little deeper. Why do I keep stumbling here? Why do I keep doing this? And realize, man, I don't realize my flesh is i got to die to myself, die to myself and live to Christ. Pick up my cross daily, deny self, right? Live for him by the power of his spirit. 
And then he gets real practical again with relationships. He says, love more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this. Can you say it? To do this more and more. Basically saying, love like crazy. Love other people like crazy. You know this. God's taught you. These truths are basic. Not just keep loving, but more and more. The word is spreading from Thessalonica all throughout Macedonia and Achaia. It keeps spreading because your love is that powerful. It, you're, you're doing it more than you did last week. You're doing it more even though the persecution's heated up. You're loving more deeply, more sacrificially, more people, and at greater expense to yourself. And what you do when you exhaust yourself in love, you pour out your love to others, what does God do? Remember, you're a conduit. He fills you with his love. No, I could never give out because I'll be empty. No, just the opposite. As you give out, you're filled. What about the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? The fresh empowering. Why? How do you know it's fresh? Because you've been giving it out. You need it. You're like a stream of living water, right? The Spirit flows through you, in you, to others. That's what he was talking about. So I want to ask you, have you been taught by God to love others? What is your typical way of loving others? How would you describe it? So I want you to complete the sentence. My love toward others is, and fill it in as many ways as you can in your own heart. My typical way of loving others is, just fill it in. Describe it to yourself. Does it come close to God's definition? We see in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it's not irritable or resentful, it's not proud or rude. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It's the kind of love that's enduring, it's hopeful, it's believing the best, it's trusting, it's forgiving. Is that the way your love is? Here's another way of putting it, it's a fill in the blank. I've been kind, patient, forgiving, enduring, and thoughtful toward fill in the blank. I've been kind, patient, forgiving, enduring, and thoughtful toward who? Who have you done that with? Hopefully you can fill in a few names. When was the last time you did that with them? I, yesterday, was kind and patient, forgiving, enduring, and thoughtful toward... Hopefully family, mem family members' names are coming up, right? How about people at work? You're going to have maybe 30 or 40 hours with them this week. Are you going to be kind and patient, forgiving, enduring, and thoughtful toward them to show that you are being sanctified and set apart by God? You're looking more and more like Jesus. Maybe this will convict you in a different way, and then hopefully, I, I pray, set you free. I've been irritable, resentful, unforgiving, envious, or rude to... I've been irritable, resentful, unforgiving, envious, or rude to. If you're honest enough to put a name or two in there, you're about ready to get freed by the power of the Holy Spirit because you're a real person. Other words, in other words, if I had to put it another way, you're not sitting here playing a spiritual game. You're actually real before God. You're actually able to say, oh, I've definitely been that way with that person. Not patient, kind, forgiving, enduring, and thoughtful. I've been irritable, resentful, unforgiving, envious, and rude. And I need to change that. I need to start loving them or love them more and more and more. Jesus said to love your who? Enemies. And to pray for those who persecute you. Do you have anyone in that category in your life? Then you get to apply the message the exact same way. Is that awesome? It's not a new message. Same message. Love them. Love them more and more. Love them unconditionally. Love them with forgiveness and endurance. Love them when they're mean to you. 
Love them when they don't say thank you to you. Love them when they're being unloving back. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And also in Luke chapter 6, he goes, and don't think you're anything special when you love those that love others. He goes, even those who don't believe in God do that. Oh, that's everywhere. Well, if I love them and I love that customer and give them good praise, well, then they'll, they'll love me back. If I network in this way, I'll get networked back, and that'll just, that's awesome for me. If I scratch their back, they'll scratch mine. If I'm nice to them, well, at least, hopefully, most people will be nice back. Well, that's not of God. Where it's of God is, if I'm nice to people that are not nice to me, I'm showing them Christ. When I'm sacrificial, when I don't think I'm getting a kickback, and I literally, as best as I can, God, my motivation is just to show them you best as I can. Sometimes that's not always the case, Lord. Forgive me. But purify that. Sanctify that. So when I'm loving people, I'm not looking for the kickback. I'm not looking for the advantage. I don't have an angle. I literally am trying to just be a real, sanctified, in the process Christian who's trying to just love how? More and more. You've heard me. My you know, my challenge with this is that in the last 10 minutes, you guys just didn't mute me. Seriously. Love? Great. Thank you. I know that. Love God, love others. I get it. No, but they knew that too. He's already said that. He said, God's instructed you on this, hasn't he? Yeah. Just do it more and more. So we knew it too, and I knew it too, but we're called to do it more and more. That's where the sacrifice comes in. So let's get real practical. My next action step in loving others more is to what? My next action step in loving others more than I have, more, not just continuing, more, we're called to more by the power of the Holy Spirit, is to, you fill in the blank. Maybe it's to participate. I'll give you a few options. Maybe it's to, per to participate in trunk or treat and come and do a trunk for this reason. Oh, wait, this is for the community. I don't have kids. I wouldn't do it. Well, that's a, it's a kid thing. It's a family thing. It's a dress-up thing. It's not... No, it's our opportunity to love this community. They're coming, and that's what you should be praying, that the community comes, and by you decorating your trunk, you get to display the love of Christ. And instead of evil, you get to demonstrate the goodness and the fun of God. And the non-Christian community will be brought because we invite them, but then they also see us loving more than just, ah, oh, busy, I don't want to do that. That's, that's a family, that's for someone else. I want to challenge every one of you. Why say it's for someone else? This is what God's leading this church to do to reach this community. So show up dressed or show up with a trunk. Love people how? More. More. Deliver hope. Four different ways you can do that. I won't repeat all those. Do them. Pick one. Do more in the name of Christ. Feel like your heart gets stretched. As your heart gets stretched, guess what happens? It becomes a little bigger and God fills it. Yes. Stretch. Do it more. Serve intentionally in your community. Instead of let someone else volunteer first and maybe you'll just be able to drop the kids off and then go about your business. No, I'm going to be an assistant coach on the soccer team. Yeah. I'm going to be a helpful mom. When I go to my soccer practice, I'm not going to sit in my car on my phone. I'm going to get on the sidelines. I'm going to talk to people I don't know that actually I might actually know that I'm going to be with all season that actually could live down the street or across town that I'll probably see multiple times all season and beyond. I'm going to love them. How? You're going to get it. Starts with an M. More. I'm going to actually love them more. I'm going to like take my faith to another level. In our ministries around here, we have so many ministries they could use people stepping forward using their gifts or just their time. If they don't know what their gifts are. Still, you just use your time, your heart. God will guide you. And you step into things with the intention of loving more people more. And see what God does in that ministry and your involvement there. Or your life group. You're not just going to hang out in the life group. That's awesome if you're in a life group or a Bible study, men's study, women's study, the classes. We have lots of different ways you can group up. One, group up. Get in take the step. But when you get there, love those people there more. Love them more. Don't just show up. It's awesome. That's a start. But again, Paul was saying, do it more. So I'm telling you, and I'm telling me, do it more. Wow. Love them more. 
Jesus said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. As you feast on God's word each day, you'll understand the love of God for you more and more and more. You'll understand who Jesus is to you, how precious he is to you as a savior and a good shepherd and a friend, the all-wise one who pours mercy and grace and help into your life, who provides all you have, who gives you this hope of heaven and for all eternity, and you'll love him more. And when you love God more, it spills out, and you'll love other people more. Let God love you, fall more in love with him, and let that love overflow so that you love people the way Christ has and is loving you. That's how we're supposed to love one another. And in John 13, Jesus said, they'll know you're Christians by... They'll know you're Christians by the way you love one another. And more and more. I think I got the point across. (laughs) Okay, now we have to live it. Thirdly, and we'll close it up. Work hard with integrity. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The way that you walk with God to please him and amongst the outsiders who don't yet know God because you're in a culture that we've described. Most who don't know God or want to or don't think they want to at this point, you get to live differently. How do you live differently? Live quietly and mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. That's what he's telling them. Work hard, stay focused. Don't bounce around from house to house, market to market, you know, just kind of trying to leverage and just... Focus. Don't be a busybody. There's a lot of gossip and all that crazy stuff going on, like there's these days. Live quietly, mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. Do your absolute best at what you do. As Scripture says, working as unto the Lord. Stop comparing or judging others' performances or their privilege. Then he says, work with your hands. Do honest, productive work. Paul reminds them of that in chapter 2, right? They brought the gospel to him, but he said, we work hard day and night so that we wouldn't, you would never think that we're here for the money. We're going to take care of our own needs. Paul was a tent maker. So if he was teaching during the day, he'd make tents at night. If he, was teach, if he was teaching at night, he would make tents during the day. He worked with his own hands. He said day and night, so he wouldn't be a burden on, on them, any kind of financial burden. He wanted the gospel to be free of charge, and of course it was through their ministry. So, as he modeled and talked about in Acts 20, that I didn't covet your gold and silver, rather worked with our own hands, he challenges them, work with your own hands. Do honest, productive, hard work that has integrity. Then you'll shine bright in a dark culture. And so will we. Don't be dependent on anyone, he said. And that's great motivation to make sure we live within our means and not go into debt. Our culture is all about Oh, yeah, I mean, carry as much debt as you kind of think you could eventually pay off. But if not, you just bail out of it later anyway. Now, live within your means. Work hard. Do it as under the Lord. Be a great reflection to everyone who knows you in your workplace with integrity, with hard work, with focus. And whatever he provides, you live on. He goes, but then there'll be extra. You'll be content, but then there'll actually be extra you can share with others. That's what he says in Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So if you steal, stop. (laughs) Good. You're being sanctified. Stop the stealing. Stop the stealing. Start working hard with your own hands. And God will supply for your needs, and he'll also supply enough extra that you could help others in need. That's a Christian model. That's saying, God, you've given me energy to wake up, to have this job. I'm going to pour all my energy here. My focus is going to be, I'm going to work hard as unto you. And if you give me more than what we need, we will live within our means. But if you give us more than that, we are going to just share with others in need. That's putting God and his word first. Putting God first in your finances. Now, a lot of people these days, don't, they don't really understand that very well. They, they go like, well... You know, I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen next month, though. <laughs> or the whole year, and the economy could take a dive, or this could happen with my investments, or, you know, I got retirement coming up, or, you know, I got kids, and I, I got college now, and my car. And it's all about what we need for us to keep our life just all comfy and orderly and all that. 
What if God wants to really shake that up to see if, you're, if he's first in your finances? Maybe he's not even a parent in your finances. Maybe you don't even pray about what you give weekly to this church or to other ministries. You should. But, but what if that's not the case? Then say, God, you've justified me. You've called me to be your own. But I, I live in fear and anxiety, and I try to control finances. And I don't put you first. I don't live by faith financially. So I've got fears and anxieties. Well, you know why you have fears and anxieties and fights? Do you want to know why? Because you haven't yet put God first in your finances. And you don't feel this, this incredible liberty of sharing the generosity of God to others. You're holding it in. And the more you get, the more for self. The more you get, the more for self. Good, at least I won't have that. And then, then you go spend more. You might get in debt more. You're like, wait, you're going the wrong direction. You say, God, rescue me from the fear, the anxiety, and the fights related to finances. It's not being done your way. Work hard with integrity. Say, God, free me from the fears that I have. And I've told you this before. I want to tell you again, just as a testimony, um, Julie and I, when we first got married, we just put God first with our finances. She was doing it really her whole life, and I didn't really understand it a whole, a whole lot, but kind of did kind of my later, my college years. When we got married, just like, God's first. We took those Old Testament principles of tithing and the New Testament principles of sacrificial giving, and we figured that's a good place to start. We put God first. I can't, she's sitting right here. Do we ever really have a fight about finances? We've, no. We, we've talked about, well, what would we do? Well, what about this? Or is this a good time to help that ministry? Or can we give more here? Whatever. The fights were taken out. We never had them. But I mean, God prevents them. Why? Because you're putting him first, because you work hard, because you commit to the Lord. Your eyes are on him for your future. He will supply Christ first in his kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. And he'll add enough to you that you'll be able to be generous and share with others. You put it aside first, not last. It's not leftovers. See what I mean? Powerful. I tell us that just because our world has set up money as an idol. If you're not careful, you won't be sanctified like God would want. If money is still this, you've got this death grip on it. And you're in so much fear. And so much. Do you want to just release that to the Lord and feel freedom and provision and peace? That's how you do it. You put them first. Beginning of the month. You decide before God. Not under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. But take the principles, 10% of your income, the tithing. Don't rob God, as the Old Testament says. Put them first. Your first fruits, the sacrificial giving, Lord, what would actually hurt? What would actually be rep representative of something sacrificial? Well, if I do that, I can't uh, buy that or go there. Yes, that's the idea. Yes, exactly. Because I'm putting God first in his kingdom, in this church first. That's, that's what I'm doing. Like, wow, that'll sanctify me? Yes, you'll be set apart. You, your physical, your resources, everything is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit you will literally feel like you have been freed in that area. Nothing else to do. I guarantee you, nothing else to do it but that, obedience. Okay, let's do our review. Pleasing and reflecting God. You'll be able to please God and reflect God. When you choose to live in purity, holiness, and self-control, comma, and add these to each, right? By the power of the, say it loud, the Holy Spirit. You'll love more, and more, comma, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will work hard with integrity, and you'll have actually more to share. You'll be able to be generous like God is to you all the time. You'll be actually become more like him, sanctified, by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a vision for your life. That's what it means to know Christ and be justified, to enter the, practice, pro, the process of sanctification, and knowing that he's going to set you apart, bringing his glory into your life more and more, and have you ready for his return. We're going to have time now to just pray about it. Um, sometimes there's a disconnect right about here in the service. And I want you to press into the Lord right now. Instead of maybe debating something I've said, oh, I don't know, Gordy doesn't understand. He doesn't know my life. He doesn't know my finance. He doesn't know our struggles. We got this family situation. Oh, I got ours too. I got mine too. I got oh, yeah, we've been through financial challenges, have to trust the Lord and live. Well, he doesn't understand. I don't, but God does. I'm just saying he can free you to live according to his truth by his power. So I encourage you now, pray from your guts.
Pray from your heart to God's heart right now. And if you need to confess something, just do it. Say, God, I was convicted by that. I confess that to you. I've not had self-control in that area. Forgive me, Lord. And he'll forgive you right as you pray it. Then saying, Lord, and would you help me live this truth? And he will, and you'll feel it. And the Holy Spirit will, there'll be that sense of joy that starts to come about in your life. And you'll walk out feeling like you have his power to live what you've heard today. Do that kind of praying right now, okay? We're going to have a couple worship songs. We'll have our offering opportunity, if you haven't yet, to start putting God first in your finances. And we're going to have uh, communion. And that's an opportunity to remember what Christ did on the cross for you, that he did it for you to justify you, to start this process of sanctification that one day will lead to your glorification in Christ. So use that as an opportunity just to be clean and right before God. All of that for a few minutes. Let's just turn, turn to the Lord now. You ready? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these Dear Christians in Thessalonica, years and years ago that lived, they lived on purpose. They lived for your glory. They lived to please you. But they were like us. They stumbled along at times and they made mistakes, but were forgiven as they confessed and, Lord, walking with you again. That's what we want to do, God. Would you show us right now through the work of your Holy Spirit, show us, Lord, where we've not live to please and honor you. So we want to make steps of growth. We want to live by faith more. We've lived in fear or control. We want to release to you, praying, trusting. Uh, Show us where this is, the purity and holiness you want us to have. Where, Lord, do you want to bring that about? With who, Lord, do we need to love more and more? How do we apply that? Lord, how can we be more focused, work hard with integrity with our hands as unto you? Speak to us. Receive our offering, Lord, and our worship. It's for you.